Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. I am Alex Wolf. He's Gavin Shaw, and we are breaking down the Knicks 113 to 104 loss to the Utah Jazz, first of a road back to back. But Gavin, first, you know, we, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the latest trade deadline rumor during trade deadline week. There's some notion that the Knicks might be in on the CJ McCollum sweepstakes, so we will talk about that. Big nights for Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle. And the Knicks, despite a big third quarter run, unable to finish off a comeback effort against the Utah Jazz. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Hey, what's up, guys? So important caveat before we start this episode, we spend the majority of the opening segment talking about CJ McCollum uh, potentially getting dealt to the New York Knicks. And then uh, we, we wrap up the podcast and we come to realize that CJ McCollum is headed to the New Orleans Pelicans. Alex and I had a discussion about it and we decided to keep the segment in there both for uh, posterity and, and the bigger reason uh, because we think that a lot of the conversation we had is relevant to any uh, big trade trip the Knicks try to go after and their aspirations and 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 the fit of a, a lead guard with R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle and whether or not the Knicks should be pursuing that now or pursuing that later. It's really more of a philosophical conversation than it is specific to C.J. McCollum with a little bit of stuff specific to C.J. McCollum uh, mixed in. But if you, if you want to skip that uh, around the... 12, 13-minute mark, uh, we will start discussing uh, Mitchell Robinson's performance last night, Julius Randle, and, and the game as a whole. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to note that. And without further ado, let's get into the show. All right. Welcome in to Locked on Knicks. We wanted to thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen every day, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform or now on YouTube, where we crossed that magical thousand subscriber mark now. Thank you all uh, who went on and, and subscribed to us there. And certainly, if you haven't checked it out yet, feel free to if you want to see our beautiful smiling faces every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief and excited to Strickland, which you can find at the Strick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster's favorite play by play broadcaster. And today, he's your favorite. Trade news presenter's favorite trade news presenter, Gavin. There was a, a a little rumor flying around yesterday about the Knicks and one CJ McCollum. Yeah, so the report uh, from Mark Stein that the New York Knicks uh, have interest in CJ McCollum, and uh, here I'll you know what, I'll just I'll I'll just read it out directly from Mark Stein. The most interesting trade scenario I heard all weekend: two rival teams say the Knicks are emerging as legitimate trade suitor for Portland CJ McCollum. 
The Pelicans until now have been most frequently mentioned as leaders of the McCollum chase. If another trade materializes for the Trailblazers after their Friday deal with the LA Clippers to send out Norman Powell and Robert Covington, uh, this uh, ag- aggregated by Jonathan Macri, he noted that Ian Begley later followed up with his own report that opposing teams expect the Knicks to check in on CJ ahead of the deadline and that New York has had internal discussions about McCollum ahead of last season's trade deadline as well. So Alex, I don't know about you. My initial reaction to this is I don't think the Knicks are going to be able to outbid the Pelicans. And I think you and I were having this discussion a little bit before the show. What would ultimately be the motivation for New York to go get CJ McCollum, given the trajectory of this season and, and the general state of the franchise? Yeah. My first thing is like, I don't know how inclined I am to believe the Mark Stein report, to be completely honest, because even the way that he phrased it, he made sure to hedge that seriously. Like two rival teams think that the Knicks are in CJ. It's like, all right, man, like rival teams will say anything, you know, like (laughs) this doesn't seem super concrete to me. Um, But like, you know, I mean, I guess that's where you have to get information sometimes with the Knicks because they're so tight lipped at this point, as far as whether they would actually go for this. I mean, I hope they wouldn't. Uh, I think that I finally reached the point where I'm ready for the Knicks to fully be sellers. And I don't mean that in a, in like a scorched earth sense, like in no, you know, by no means should they be taking uh, calls on RJ Barrett, for example, you know, that that's off the tape at this point. And even, you know, there was the reports about like, Oh, lots of teams been calling about Emmanuel quickly and blah, blah, blah. Like don't do that either. Unless you have like a really perfect deal that you can take for him. But as far as taking calls on Alec Burks or Nerlens Noel or, you know, if someone wants him, Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, Julius Randle even, you know, if the right deal comes along, I think they should just be open to those sort of things now. Try to ship out as many of these veterans as they can uh, at the trade deadline now because there's six games under 500 now. I mean, this is – we kept making comparisons to last season, you know, all season long so far, and, and yet – Last season, I don't think they ever reached six games below 500. If we're being real, they're probably going to be seven games below 500 after this Nuggets game tonight. I, I just don't think it's the right time to be looking at a guy like a CJ McCollum. Like, I think that he's a finishing piece. I don't think that he's, at this point in his career, a guy that you get and say, okay, like, you know, we could be good in a few years with CJ. You know, I, I think that his his play is held up pretty well. Over the years, you know, statistically, he's he's doing pretty similar to what he, you know, to what he's always done. Um, I'm taking a look real quick. Twenty and a half points this year. You know, he's shooting forty three and a half percent overall, thirty eight percent from three on eight attempts a game. I mean, that's a little down from where he's been at times in his career, but pretty close to, you know, in general where he's been. So, like, you know, he's good. And, and that's awesome, but I just don't think he's going to do anything for you this year. And I don't know if I necessarily think, you know, with him being 30, going to be 31 years old by next year, that that's a guy that I want to pick up and be like, all right, you know, we're going to like build around this guy and Julius Randle and RJ Barrett for a few years. And we gave up significant assets and got in a bidding war to do so. Uh, I'd kind of just rather let the Pelicans have their own misguided motivations for, trading for him, like keeping Zion Williamson around stuff like that and sort of watch their world burn, hopefully eventually, (laughs) rather than have the Knicks make a move. But how do you feel about the whole CJ thing and and where the Knicks stand right now as as a team at the deadline? 
Yeah, I think I have similar inclinations to you. I guess the, if, if I was playing devil's advocate, the counter argument would be is like, we know the Knicks are, there's no scenario where they're entering into a, a multi-year tank job and, and, and trying to like fully build through the draft and, and just completely, completely focus on the younger guys on the team. And then once they like after years and years more of sucking, then they'll go get the CJ McCollum when they're, when they're perfectly suited to add someone like that. Like I, I just, I just, I mean, that's basically what the Phoenix Suns path was with Chris Paul. And I don't think there's any appetite for that in New York, given that we've already sort of had two decades of, of dipping a toe in those waters and then not fully committing. Um, and I mean, that's, that's been an off discussed topic on this podcast. So I don't want to beat that to death, but the point is the Knicks have aspirations of being competitive um, at the very least as soon as possible. And CJ, I think at a relatively low price, um, depending on, again, on, on what you have to do to beat out the Pelicans, um, offers you that. But if the trade is, I don't know, two first round picks and then Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly, like I, I would be surprised if the Knicks front office that like didn't really, really appeal to them. You go into next season, uh, with a starting lineup of CJ McCollum, Quentin Grimes, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson. That looks like a pretty competitive group that looks like a, a, a mid tier Eastern conference playoff team. And honestly, I think that is what New York's front office is striving to be. I don't think they're striving to build the team with the highest possible ceiling. I don't think they're striving to fall apart. I think they're striving to be good and then figuring out a way from there to find the superstar piece. And, and CJ, part of the appeal is he gives you that contract that you could potentially deal for a superstar in addition to a whole bunch of other assets. And if RJ Barrett continues on his current trajectory, maybe he's the centerpiece of that kind of trade. So it might be the Knicks thinking two steps ahead while also striving to be as good as possible both this year and in future seasons. Um, I hear everything you're saying. I'm generally on, on on the same page where I don't like making a move like that before your time. But at some point, if you're the Knicks, you got to sort of make the baby step to get good before you get very good. I mean, I look at a team like the Chicago Bulls that I think have been, I mean, I mean, I wasn't that essentially their uh, trade for Vucevic a year ago. It was to get pretty good. And then this off season, they, I mean, maybe they got lucky, but they had essentially a perfect offseason. They fit all the pieces around that, and now they're very, very good. So I think that would be the Knicks model in this kind of trade. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And, you know, honestly, CJ, I think would on paper be like a, a perfect fit for how the Knicks have been playing with RJ and Randall lately. You know, where I think RJ and Randall, like as much as the Knicks have been struggling lately, I, you know, they've only been struggling in the fact that they haven't been getting the wins on the ledger because they've been facing some pretty good teams. Maybe the Lakers aside, like that was kind of embarrassing to end up losing that game eventually. But like, you know, the, the, the fact is like they are playing better now. So if they can get a CJ and set some sort of set, some sort of a, a blueprint for next year of how to play, and, you know, then come into next year with a renewed vigor and, and a better plan and all that, like CJ being a, a guy that can handle the ball, but is also super comfortable off ball, you know, that is not going to be like a total defensive liability, um, like a Kemba Walker and that sort of thing. I mean, that that's pretty appealing as like your quote unquote starting point guard, certainly better than like a point Burks. It's sort of like the version of point Burks that actually works because he, he actually does have a little more of those like point guard skills that you're looking for if he is handling the ball, but is also perfectly good at deferring to RJ and Randall, uh, you know, if he's not going to be handling the ball. So I do get that. I think my, my only pushback on that again would be like, I don't like, it didn't seem like the bulls really 
got into like a super bidding war. But then again, they did pay a pretty lofty price. I mean, they did pay a first round pick last year, and I think one more first round pick. Yeah, and, um, and Wendell Carter Jr., who, I mean, and regardless of what you think of him, former top 10 pick. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'm just like where I'm sitting. I'd probably rather just sit it out. But I, I, yeah, you actually made a good point there. You know, I think your devil's advocate argument, even if you were still leaning towards the other side, did a pretty good job of, of framing it for me. Like, I, I would, I would consider it. Um, you know, I, I think that I, I'd still have my reservations. But I, you know, if they did it and it wasn't for like the whole farm, I wouldn't feel the worst about it. Uh, but I think that we should probably. Uh, come back and talk about Mitchell Robinson because, you know, these trade rumors, they're fun, they're exciting, but Mitchell Robinson did just have probably the best night of his career. But I want to just let everybody know that this episode is brought to you by TurboTax. First, people think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax Live experts, that's what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you're invested in crypto for the first time this year whether you own an up-and-coming small business or you're raising rambunctious twins. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experts who can answer your tax questions, walk you through the whole process, and do your taxes for you from start to finish. They help you with every deduction you deserve, no matter your unique situation. And you can talk to a TurboTax Live expert through your phone or computer without leaving your house. TurboTax Live experts are here to help you however you need. And if you need an extra hand, hand your taxes off to them and they'll do it all for you. To TurboTax Live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes. Into it, TurboTax Live. And we're back to discuss the Knicks game. We, uh, we you know, sort of overshadowed it with that rumor. But it's an important discussion to have because, I mean, quite frankly, the, the Knicks, uh, a lot is going to be decided by this coming Thursday, potentially. So it's it's a lot to talk about. But of course, they had to hand us our busiest week of games in, in like two months, leading right up to the trade deadline. So we're going to talk about that, too. And Gavin, you know, there's a, a sort of a common story in this game. The Knicks went out to an early lead and then coughed it back up. And a, a large part of why they even got out to that early lead, I should say, and then they sort of drew back you know, drew back and they were back and forth with jazz for a long time until Donovan Mitchell kind of just turned it on late and buried them and ended the game. Um, Really impressive performance by Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Although we, you know, as we learned last week, can't say potential future Nick or David Locke might pop out of nowhere and yell at us and call New York a trash city. He has Um, has access to our streaming channel where he can, he could just join (laughs) mid show if he wants to. He's just just popping and be like, what did I just do? I hear Donovan Mitchell. No, um, no, no, David, no, no trade. <laughs> but Mitchell Robinson had the game of his life. Uh, he had, I believe it was eight of the Knicks' first 13 points. Ends with 19 points, uh, 21 boards, which matched his career high. Two steals, three blocks, shot eight of 11, uh, shot three of six from the free throw line, which was sort of a, a uh, accomplishment on its own. <laughs> Impressively, uh, he had 10 offensive rebounds. I mean, I just thought this was I, – I know that it would have been way more fun to see him against Gobert here and see how he would have hung with, you know, the guy that still I think we we look at as like the ceiling comparison for him as far as a, a guy that he could potentially become someday. But I, I thought that, you know, even against uh, Yudoka Azubuike and, and Hassan Whiteside, who Brendan Brown astutely noted, I mean, Whiteside passed his prime at this point, but he has – 
destroyed the Knicks in the past. Um, just been one of those guys that, you know, is, has been able to have those like 25 rebound games against the Knicks and whatever. Uh, Mitch just thoroughly dominated whoever got put in front of him in this game. And those two guys are not small by any means. So even if you don't have Gobert, you know, the Jazz did a pretty good job of finding like some Gobert lookalikes to a degree, you know, guys that can stand in there and provide that big body presence that he does. And, and Mitch just looked far and away like the best center on the court. Yeah, he was he was incredible. I mean, to your point, eight and five in the first five minutes of the game, it felt like he he just came out on a mission. And I feel like I don't know if it was Tibbs or maybe one of the players, but said, "Hey, you gotta like this isn't Rudy. You gotta go out and, and just destroy Azabuke." And Mitch was like, "All right, bet." And 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 he came out and did it. And, and what really stood out to me, I mean, beyond the the rebounding, which was just voracious and dominant, and I think this was sort of, this game was the the apex like culmination of Mitch's added strength while fully regaining uh, whatever athleticism had deserted him earlier this season. Like, like this, this, this was the vision, right? This is what we were dreaming of all off season, like a, a night, like last night. Um, but even more than that, his defensive positioning uh, building off the Lakers games. Like, I, I think this was maybe the best back-to-back defensive performances of Mitchell Robinson's career. And like, maybe I would need to go back to his rookie or sophomore year. Like he could have had a two game stretch where he had 15 blocks or something, but even if he's not doing that quite to the same extent, we're just flying around and destroying shots. Um, his intelligence on defense, like th- this is what I saw from him earlier last year. That got me really excited. His ability to sit in a very, very uncomfortable position for any center on earth, particularly any center in the NBA um, playing the pick and roll, the ball handler has beat the second defender and, and you're, in, you're in a two on one essentially. And, and, and you're fighting for your life at that point, right? You have to protect the lob. You have to stop the floater. You, you have to ideally um, stop the ball handler from coming right down the lane and getting a layup in your face while you're trying to block that lob. And Mitch, I mean, it, it, it's a dance. And I, I think it's one that Mitch played perfectly like over and over again. He just engulfed drivers. Like there was a player, Royce O'Neal, looked like he was going to have a wide open layup and Mitch just flashed in out of nowhere. And O'Neal just kind of like, panicked and and threw it away to no one um he was picking off like literally just like intercepting passes in the pick and roll like he got Mike Conley once he got an inbound um at another point in the game over the final two three minutes when the Knicks obviously were just falling apart and it felt like the team ran out of energy and the Jazz were were just killing them swinging the ball around the perimeter and the Knicks couldn't keep up Mitch was the one guy and to me this was one of the most exciting things um about Mitchell Robinson's performance is that he, he played, I mean, he, he's someone averaging 25 minutes per game this year, played 36 minutes, pretty sure that was a season high for him, and and held up down the stretch of it, right? Like in, in the fourth quarter, like I was tracking basically every play he had. He had this great contest on Donovan Mitchell. It was, it was the one that Alec Burks ultimately ended up blocking. I think it was white side shot from behind, and he had another play where, where Bogey was driving, and it looked like he was going to get a layup, and Mitch ended up basically like half-stripping him, and it totally stalled out the momentum of that Jazz possession. So, I, I mean, I just thought he was, he was the reason um, as, as good as Randall was offensively and as, as for all the moments RJ had offensively in this game, Mitchell Robinson was the reason the Knicks had a chance because for the most part, they got their ass kicked. And and he was just so, so good defensively that he did enough to make up for a whole lot of mistakes across the board. Yeah, I think Macri noted this, that it was uh, our buddy Jonathan Macri, Knicks Film School, noted uh, that it was his career high, um, that he was going to hit it if he got inserted with eight minutes left or something like that, and he got back in the game with 10 minutes left. So I think he set a new career high in minutes, which, yeah, to your point, I thought maybe he and everybody looked a little gassed down the stretch. 
but I think he held up just fine. You know, like he wasn't noticeably more gas than anybody else. Let's put it that way. Um, and there was sort of like this weird breakneck, but terrible pace to end the game where like the teams were running, but they were making tons of mistakes each, you know, and it was just really ugly basketball. Um, so, you know, I think that's what kind of tired everybody out down the stretch, but yeah, it, you know, to your point, like his, it, just his defensive dominance was, was really, uh, stand out in this game that I think the highlight, you know, if you're just talking about pure like sports center material, you know, he picks off that inbound pass that you mentioned and then gets it to RJ Barrett runs the whole length of the floor and gets a reverse alley-oop down the other end. It was, uh, very, dare I say, uh, Porzingis-esque. It reminded me of the the plays that he used to do where he would, you know, get a block or, or some sort of defensive play and then just sprint the whole length of the floor and catch a lob down the other end. And we've seen Mitch do that at times in his career too. Uh, but that was that was sort of the play that, that KP made famous uh, as a Nick. And then, yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement with you. Like, he really changed the game defensively. He had Donovan Mitchell scared, like, for his life. And – you know, I, it was funny as we were watching this, I realized, you know, David Locke the other day had said, oh, the Jazz. Or he was like, you know, what do you do if you have a defender that you don't want on your player? You generate a switch. And I was like, oh, no wonder that comes so second nature to you. But we had to think about it for a second because we never see it happen. But the Jazz do it every single possession, you know, where they generate a switch to try to get a different defender on somebody. And that's what they kept doing with Mitchell. You know, RJ was trying to take the the task of guarding him. And the Jazz just said, no, we're going to get a switch on on you every single time. And the Knicks, it seemed, had sort of conceded that and knew that that was going to happen. So they said, all right, well, if they want to generate the switch off RJ, we'll just have RJ switch. We'll have Fournier get on to him or whoever. Uh, it, that was allowing Mitchell to get in somewhat often, though. But Mitch did a good job of reading those situations. And like Mitchell probably could have had quite a bit more points than what he ended up with, which was a robust 32 on 50% shooting, even though he shot two of 10 from three. I mean, he could have potentially had more had Mitch not read some of those situations as well as he did and snuffed them out before he had a chance to score. Because I mean, he did, he sent Mitchell packing once. And I think that after that, he was pretty afraid of the general Mitch experience around the rim. And so was the whole rest of the team because why wouldn't you be? I mean, Mitch, when he's at his best is, is really, really intimidating around the rim there. And he was definitely at his best during this game. Yeah, I no, no doubt he was, he was pretty incredible. And I mean, to me, and maybe this is something we can, we can talk about in just a sec, Alex, but I, I'm, I'm wondering where the Knicks are at internally in terms of giving Mitchell Robinson an extension. And I'm, I'm curious where Mitchell Robinson's market is going for the summer because all of us, that was that was one conversation over the first 40 or so games of the year. And then over the last 20, um, it's looking like a completely different one. And right now, if I'm the New York Knicks, I'm, I'm kind of thinking Quinn Grimes, R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson. It feels weird not to include Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin in there. Like you, you, you still can for sure. I mean, Quickly especially. Um, but it feels like the Knicks are starting to like have three defined building blocks. Like, like those are three guys I could see in your starting lineup for the next five to ten years. Uh, what are they willing to do to keep that together? Uh, we can talk about that a little bit. And we'll also talk about Julius Randle, who had another fantastic night, back-to-back 30 performances for him. Next, Unlocked on Knicks. But first, I want to remind everyone, Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football continues its march through the playoffs, right to the big game in a couple of weeks. 
BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline is up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. So don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we are back. Third and final segment on Locked On Knicks. And we wanted to uh, remind you guys that uh, we have our NBA trade deadline show coming up. It's Thursday, February 10th. It starts at 3 p.m. ET, and the Locked On NBA podcast will be covering it live from 2 to 4 p.m. You can join Kim Becker, John Corrales, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd to get analysis of every blockbuster move, and uh, potentially us, especially if the Knicks make a CJ McCollum trade, we will probably feature heavily on that live show. So certainly check it out. All you have to do to remember is to subscribe to the Locked On NBA YouTube and turn your notifications on so you know when they go live um whether or not the knicks make a trade it feels like alex they're they're finding something with with at least with those three guys i mean grimes rj and mitch the way they've emerged and i I think there's a clear like fit with those three right grimes is like your three and d plus guy and he looks like he's shaping up to be one of the better examples of that archetype of player uh, recently drafted, like someone who could be genuinely elite in both those categories and offer a little bit more. Um, RJ, we can maybe wrap up with this and talk a bit more about him. But even though he shot pretty terribly against the Jazz, I was I was encouraged by his night. And I, I really do think he's turning a corner, um, if not towards stardom, to something just below that. Uh, and Mitchell Robinson, all of a sudden, like he seems like, I mean, exactly what we were hoping for coming into this season, like your ideal, like protect the rim, run to the rim center. You can question whether next to Julius Randle, that is the perfect long-term setup in New York. You can also question if Julius Randle is a long-term piece in New York at that point and whether maybe the Knicks will prioritize Mitchell Robinson when designing the rest of the roster. This is a bigger conversation. It's not one we have to spend the rest of the episode on, but it, it was it was something that the gears in my head started turning with how Mitchell Robinson has played lately and particularly with how he played tonight because that was just not how I thought about him earlier this season. I, I thought he was a goner. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I You know, I... I was starting to feel that way too. And it was unfortunate because like, you know, it, 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 he was definitely, I mean, I know that some of it was the conditioning, but he was, I, I don't know if he was, you know, confused in his role or, or just straight up dogging it. But I mean, he, it seemed like at a certain point that the conditioning was back, but the effort wasn't quite there. And then lately now we've seen this switch flip where like, it's like everything is clicking now. And it's almost like, it's almost like when you talk about how like, a shooter plays better when they're seeing the ball go through the hoop. It's like Mitch is seeing the ball go away from the hoop uh, on his hand. And now all of a sudden it's, it's like, he's, he's got this new vigor, you know, and, and it's like, you know what? I am, I am probably the best defensive player on the court right now. And, you know, I can, I can influence whole games by myself. And like, that's finally all clicked with him. And he's, he's now finding like the best version of himself. I'm with you, you know, with what you said, it's going to be interesting to see what his market is now. Because I, I really thought that for a while, I was like, man, I, I hope he's not even asking for the uh, for like the Robert Williams contract at this point, because I, I don't think that he's going to get it. And now I'm thinking like, man, he might get that. And then some if he keeps up this level of play throughout the rest of the year, because he looks he looks great. And obviously, the Knicks are going to have some tough matchups with some of those teams with really good centers coming up still. Uh, so those would be big tests for him and probably be good litmus tests for like how much should you actually pay this dude, you know, doing it against guys that aren't like you, Doka, as a and, and stuff like that. You know, it's it's a little uh, 
a little little better competition, you know, going forward. But I I, I think that he's playing himself into a bigger contract. And I do think, to your point, they might be they might have some real building blocks here. And I'm not willing to. I mean, I know you said you weren't like intentionally leaving out quickly or topping, but I think that those two look pretty great too. You know, like even in this game where they kind of struggled, like I thought that Obi still was, you know, he's always kind of providing energy. He did get a really quick hook in this game. So we didn't get to really judge him that much, but if the Knicks would like say, decide to move on from Randall in whatever deal, I, I wouldn't be heartbroken about it because I do really feel like Obi, if you actually build something around him could be a lot more useful player than he is now. And he already is a super useful player. And then quickly, I think is he's still figuring things out. I do still worry about his jump shot a little bit, but I think he's just going through an overall slump right now. But I do think the young core is looking pretty good. I mean, to take things sort of full circle before we get into some of the other minutiae from the game, like I, I think that how good the young core has looked it definitely also leads into that. Like, I don't want to be a buyer at this deadline. I don't know if I necessarily want to give up even one of these guys for like a uh, CJ McCollum, because I just don't know how worthwhile that is when th- they've actually all looked really good and they're all really young. And I-, I think that there's really something here that's worth building towards. So, um, yeah, to take it, take a full circle. That's kind of where I'm at on, on all those guys, but I don't know if you want to respond to that or if you want to just start getting into some more stuff from this game, cause there's certainly more to talk about, but, um, yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about the team right now. Like for the long term, obviously this year I'm starting to reach a point where I think things are kind of a lost cause. But for the long term future, I think things are looking pretty good. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page. I, I want to talk Julius Randle because he's a guy who, very much uh, as of a week ago, uh, was not part of the Knicks' long term future, at least in our minds, and has responded with his best play of the season. Like this, this looked like 2021 Randle. Last night, I mean, 30 points, six boards, five assists, 10 of 12 from the field, eight of 12 from the free throw line. That was a number that really stood out to me. Did have five turnovers, did have some of those like head scratching isolations that stalled out momentum when the Knicks were really rolling. Like at one point, uh, just took like a pull up 26 footer uh, at the start of a possession, which made me sort of nauseous. But that's not really what I want to focus on because I think, again, he made every effort to play the right way. And, And as much as Mitch set the tone, I think Randall was at least as significant of a component of the Knicks hot start. He was at least as significant of a component of the 24 to two run that gave the Knicks control of this game in the third quarter. Um, and he, he made plays in the fourth that gave the Knicks a chance, even if they couldn't quite pay it off. But I mean, just, just going from like the get go of this game, like immediately it, it felt like the Lakers game all over again. Like I was, I was getting deja vu down, down to how it finished, but um, like a hard push in transition. That, that ended up getting the ball to Burks and then to Mitchell Robinson for the jam. Uh, then threw it ahead to RJ to get him an and one layup. Um, him and Fournier, uh, again, had their little like dribble handoff dance working to perfection. Like it set up a three for Evan in the first quarter and, and another long one for him in the fourth. And then I love the way, I mean, we, I mentioned the 12 free throws. It was because he was just repeatedly attacking uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich off the dribble. And, and that's how you make a team like the Jazz. Again, like the reason the Jazz can generate so many switches and why, why David Locke w- was going uh, off about how incredible their offense is. It's because they play four out around a rim running center, right? And that's that's basically impossible to stop. But the flip side that that occasionally has hurt the Jazz in the playoffs is that leaves you vulnerable defensively, especially if the team 
as a bulldozer, a power forward. And I love that Randall, like he didn't, he didn't really let Bogdanovich off the hook, right? He, he wasn't settling for step back after step back after step back. He was going right at them. He was going right at Hassan Whiteside. He even got a foul uh, running pick and roll in this game. I mean, I, I thought the possession of the game, and I'll, I'll throw it over to you, Alex, um, to talk a little bit about your thoughts on Randall. Um, he, he drew four defenders attacking the middle of the floor, uh, kicked it out to RJ. RJ beat a hard closeout, I think, from Conley. And then the defense was like scrambling to get over to RJ. And then RJ kicked it to the opposite corner. Evan Fournier had a wide open three. And, and in that moment, I just sort of sat there and like kind of gave like a little like sad smile to myself and was thinking, that's what I thought the Knicks offense was going to be this entire season. That, that was the vision this offseason, right? Randall drawing multiple defenders. And then with Kemba and Fournier and an improved RJ, you could actually leverage that extra attention into an offense that I thought was going to be top five to seven in the NBA. Obviously, it hasn't worked out that way, but it's it's so cool to see Randall finally playing this way. And, and when he does, you see how much easier life gets for everyone else on the court. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a shame that the Knicks couldn't have found this level of play much earlier in the season when things were way more on a platter for them. You know, as far as that early season schedule, if they could have padded their like it, honestly, all it would have taken is a few a few games, a few, you know, low effort games to go the other way. And we could be talking about, OK, the Knicks are six games above 500 right now, but with a really tough schedule ahead, you know, should they, what should they be willing to part with for CJ McCollum at the trade deadline, you know, to make this final push for the playoffs? You know, it's and Randall's been a huge part of that. You know, we were. And look, I'm still not completely against the idea if, if his effort is going to potentially be waning like this, you know, where it comes in fits and spurts. But like with how he's been playing lately, yeah, it, it does make me think like, wow, good thing the Knicks locked this guy up on that affordable contract for how well he can break down the defense and pass out of doubles and, you know, all this other stuff that he was doing in this game. It's just like it, it kind of boggles the mind a little bit where you, you just look and you're like, where has this been the entire season? And and if this were here earlier, if you were playing the same way earlier and consistently, then, you know, things would be a lot better. And now, of course, you could say the same, I guess, like there were extenuating circumstances, it seems like, with the, the sicknesses and whatever. You could say the same of like, well, maybe if RJ was playing this good the whole season, then Randall would be playing this style the whole season and their symbiosis would have kicked in sooner and, you know, whatever. So may, maybe it's a double-edged sword there, but... Yeah, in in the season where everything has gone wrong for the Knicks so far, things are definitely going right on like the Randall and RJ front lately. And I have really been liking what we've been seeing out of Randall. And like, if the trade deadline passes and he is still on the team, uh, I really do hope to see this level of play from him for the rest of the year, win, lose, or draw, along with RJ Barrett, and start laying that foundation for something greater going forward um but i i wanted to real quick touch on you know a couple other pretty good performances in this game uh I, i'll let you decide where to go from here but like evan fournier 16 points 512 shooting four of eight from deep you know i don't know how much there is to say about fournier in this game but i thought he did have a good game um you know it's just sort of one of his better games like most of his better games this year, we just sort of plays within himself. Let's the offense come to him. He didn't force anything. Made a lot of nice spot up attempts from three. That was good to see. Cam Reddish got, I think, his most extensive minutes of the year in this game as well. 
Uh, he's maybe the guy I want to focus in on a little more. Um, I'm a smidge. Were, I, I don't know about worried. I, but I, I feel like we saw some of the worst tendencies that we were told about from him kind of show up in this game. And I thought maybe he was trying a little too hard uh, to sort of prove himself. You know, I, I guess I would be too. You know, if you're, if you get traded to a team for a first round pick and then you've been glued to the bench for three weeks, you know, I, I wouldn't totally blame him for being like, Oh, I got to do something to show out to show that I belong here and that I belong in this rotation. Um, and without Quentin Grimes, and without Kemba Walker, he managed to get 15 minutes for himself for better or worse in this game in those 15 minutes. And I feel like this is somewhat accurate ends up a team worse minus 21. Um, Emmanuel quickly joined him with a minus 20. I, I really didn't think that bench unit performed well in this game at all. And you could you could tack some of that on Nerlens Noel, too, who I thought was a huge step down from Mitch in this game. But Reddish's minutes were not super impressive. I thought the shot selection was really questionable. You know, he was taking weird mid-range shots that he just kind of wanted to be like, dude, you don't need to take that shot. Like, work the ball a little bit like don't don't take that you're not Julius Randle like you're not going to take ISO mid-rangers because you're not good enough to do that <laughs> uh had a three-pointer that I think I think it was the three that was the air ball or was it the yeah yeah that was one, one of the worst air balls I've ever seen in an NBA game it was it was an OB air ball because it was both yeah. like not gonna hit the rim even if it was straight on but it was like four feet to the left as well yeah really icky really icky shot there and uh, he had a couple, you know, he had the right idea on a few possessions. Like he got to the rim a couple times, drew four free throws, made all four of them. That's great to see. I mean, that's that's certainly something that the Knicks need right now. But yeah, it was just it was question. Uh, he had a he had a pretty good defensive sequence too, I thought, and then <laughs> promptly had it stripped from him and had a turnover. Um, but like it played, it was like some ball denial um up at the up at the top of the the three-point line and you know managed to keep the pass away and then uh you know they tried to reset and get it back again and reddish just pokes it away gets out in transition but then got stripped and had it bounce off his leg um i'm i'm struck oh i think it was clarkson clarkson that he was guarding right there and you know clarkson tracks him down and then he wasn't paying close enough attention to his man trailing behind him and got stripped and had it bounced off his leg going the other way and then lost the ball right back. So it's sort of like the best and worst of what he had to offer on the night right there encapsulated in one possession. But how did you feel about Cam Reddish's first extended run as a Nick? You know, I've seen pretty much everyone like really not like how he played. I was honestly okay with it. I, I thought he, he didn't take like too many shots that made me cringe. Like uh, the results made me cringe, but I, I thought his process was pretty good. Um, him and RJ showed off pretty nice chemistry. Like I thought, honestly, like RJ, like maybe his best pass of the game was when he was, it was like a pretty cool um, set drawn up by Tom Thibodeau. He had a dribble handoff that he got from Emmanuel quickly. And then Nerlens Noel came up to set a screen for him. And then RJ at that point had drawn maybe three defenders and, and just on a dime, like swung across court to Reddish. Reddish missed the three. Um, but again, good, I guess, positioning for Reddish or, or whatever there. Uh, maybe, maybe that was more about RJ than Reddish, but again, Reddish had some, he had some good moments, like, um, another play where RJ drove to the basket, Reddish, like playing right off him, just ducked in and RJ, like kind of gave him a little shimmy pass, uh, got a little floater to your point. Like w one of those sets of free throws was earned by like this really nice crossover. And when, when you see Reddish at six foot eight, like with, with, with just such a tight handle, you see the vision, you see why this guy was, was a top three recruit. You see why he was a top 10 pick. You see why at points the Hawks were really, really high on him. Like, like there's 
there's some real, real talent there. It's just, it's just organizing in the right way. And then even towards the end of the game, he had this really nice backdoor pass to Mitchell Robinson and Mitch blew the layup. Brendan Brown was getting on Reddish for not making it a lob, but I, I thought the way he threw the pass was like kind of the only way you could get it through um, and get it there on time. I, I thought it was a great look. So it's six foot eight. He has that ability to see over the top of a defense. Um, by and large, I was I was encouraged by by Cam Reddish. I think I think it was a case of a guy trying really, really hard to make a good impression um who wasn't getting a lot of time previously i want to keep seeing him play maybe at some point if all that stuff continues i'll just kind of be disgusted by it but i i thought some good flashes for him uh evan fournier uh to your point i just saw defensively he was he was pretty deplorable at the at the start of this game where like bogdanovich was just was just bodying him over and over again and, and in general that's that's what sort of killed the knicks it was that they couldn't guard the jazz once they got into those switches i mean donovan mitchell was just torching alec burks throughout the second quarter uh, but anyways, I'll wrap up this diatribe by saying, uh, and, and maybe we could wrap up the pot on this. I thought RJ Barrett, uh, despite poor shooting, had a pretty darn good game again. Like a lot of his misses turned into Mitchell Robinson dunks because he was drawn multiple defenders. Um, he finished this game with uh, six assists. It could have very easily been eight or nine. A, a bunch of guys missed shots off of really good passes that he had. And, and then just some of the some of the tough shot making in this game um, that like, nasty behind the back move where he just ditched Donovan Mitchell in semi-transition and then hit a mid-ranger uh hit another like really slick like fadeaway over Bogdanovich I I just thought his confidence was really there Alex I thought his process was really good uh this was this was like another building block game for RJ and to me indicative of the fact like even on a night where his shot wasn't totally there um he's finding ways to make a real positive impact and that, that's the next step for him because throughout his career he's been as good as his shot has been yeah, I don't have anything really to add on on RJ there. I think that's a good note to wrap up on for today. So thank you for listening to Locked on Knicks. We'll be back with plenty more episodes this week. Uh, certainly, we'll have uh, probably more than your average five uh, this week. We got a few more game recaps to get to this week. Of course, the trade deadline coming up. So lots of great stuff to get into. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you many more times this week. Peace out, everybody. Talk to you all soon.